Hello, this is Graham Cook. Welcome to the Brilliant Perspectives podcast. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 1, John writes to the church at Ephesus, saying, The angel of the church in Ephesus writes this, The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, and who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this, I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men. You put to the test those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you found them to be false. You have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary, but I have this against you. You've left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen and repent." And he goes on to say that really what he's saying is change the way you think and do the deeds you did at first because you've left your first love. And you need to remember from where you have fallen because really you need to go back to that place and pick it up. You know, the way we come into salvation is the way that salvation is sustained. God initiates and we respond. In Ephesians 2 He talks about the fact that we were children of wrath at one point, but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in sin, he made us alive in Christ. In other words, he made the first move. When you were a sinner, God came looking for you. When you were completely lost and couldn't even spell God, he was thinking about you. How did you come into salvation. You didn't wake up one morning and say, you know what, it's California, it's Tuesday, it's sunny, I think I'll get saved today. That's not how it worked. You were oblivious to the love of God. You didn't even know it existed, and then someone came along and told you something about Jesus, and you began to open up to the nature of God. So God invaded your life with his light, with his word, with his love, and and you responded to that. So the way you come into salvation is the way that salvation is sustained. You are a responder, and you need to practice constantly your responses. That is your role in the earth, to be loved and to respond to that love. So when John gets the revelation about first love, it's because he's been there. This is John, the disciple whom Jesus loved who used to lay back with his head on Jesus' chest. He was universally known among the disciples as Jesus' best friend. He's the one who gets the revelation about first love because he's been there. And when he talks about you have left your first love, what he's talking about is you've left the principle of how life in the Spirit really, really works. Everything must originate in God. Only God can love God, and it takes God to love God. And John's revelation of that was in 1 John 4, 19, when he says, We love him because he first loved us. There is a first love experience between you and God that you are meant to live in for the whole of your life, for the whole of eternity. We love him because he first loved us. James put it this way, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, 
coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. John the Baptist put it this way in John 3, 27. A man can receive nothing unless it's been first given to him from heaven. Paul put it this way in Romans 11, 35, 36. He asked the question, who has first given to him that it may be paid back to him again? And, you know, the answer is no one. And then he says this, for from him and through him and to him are all things. So he's describing a cycle. Everything comes from the Father through Jesus in you, and you give back to the Father through the Holy Spirit whatever he gave you in the first place. So whenever God gives you a command to love him, it's not just a command, it's actually an invitation to receive love. I want to love you, so here's some love. Let me love you, and then you know what it feels like, and then you give it back to me, the very love that I gave you in the first place. Only God can love God. Don't you just love that? That he just chooses you to be a part of his process of loving. That means then that you are the beloved. That is your role above everything else in the earth. Above being a witness, above being a helper in the harvest, your principal role in the earth is to be loved by God. To be loved outrageously, and then to give that love to everyone that you connect with and make sure you have a double portion for the people who don't like you. Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 8, 6. I love this verse. He says, Yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for him. And there is one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through him. That's such a brilliant verse. What it's saying is being restored to first love means returning to a lifestyle of allowing yourself to be wonderfully loved. So we get to repent of any performance mentality, any approach to God where you're trying to earn his love, favor, or blessing. It's God's love for you that fuels the relationship. So we need to turn that whole thing around and learn what our response is to, who, to what God is doing. A performance mentality says, I need to do this to get something from God. When reality in the kingdom, it's this is who God is for me. Now this is what I can be in response to that. So <clears throat> that whole dynamic of God's love is the fuel that is God's passion for you. It's the very reason that he created you and that he sent Jesus to redeem you. I think sometimes our difficulty is that we've used our own feelings to define God's heart towards us. How we have felt that God feels about us is often the place where the enemy steps into our emotions. He seeks to make us responsible for love when it's God that first loves. We're not the initiator. We are the recipient of love. It is our role in Jesus to be constantly receptive. That is, to be capable of receiving from the Lord 
all that we need to continue in fellowship with God and man. And when we live as a receptive son and daughter, our celebration about who God is for us is both constant and consistent. You know, when people hear the sound of shame or low self-esteem or being unworthy, they allow those sounds to keep them away from God's heart for them. So, beloved, you need to hear the sound of God's heart for you. His love for you is what empowers you to come into a revelation and then an experience of how God feels about you. God's feelings for us are a part of the upgrade of bringing our emotions to his same level of consistency. He gave you emotions because he has them and he loves them. His love, his kindness, his passion, his delight, his joy, his desire are a part of his fullness towards us. Sadly, we seem to have produced a church that is deeply suspicious of emotions. And that really doesn't make sense to me. First love is about being restored to God's passion for us. And that passion is defined by the way that the Father loves the Son and speaks about him. Okay, I want you to consider this. Consider two public demonstrations of the Father's love. One being at the baptism of Jesus in Matthew chapter 3, when heaven opens and the Holy Spirit descends in bodily form. You know, you can't keep the Holy Spirit out of anything. He's just a flat-out genius at being there. That's his whole gig. I'm there. I'm the helper. That would be me. Resident genius of heaven. I know everything. I can do everything. I, too, am beloved of the Father, beloved of the Son, and I adore the both of them. And as your helper, I am sent to present you within their presence every day. And so he descends in bodily form on Jesus because you can't leave him out. And a voice is heard, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then, of course, there's a little while later, Jesus takes three of his chosen friends up a mountain. And suddenly there are Moses and Elijah appearing before Jesus. And it's an absolutely incredible and deeply historic moment for three Jewish men who were with Jesus, Peter, James, and John. The disciples are looking at Jesus, talking to these two guys from their history, and they're thinking, whoa, this is incredible. This is amazing. We want to stay in this moment. And then suddenly Jesus himself is transfigured in front of them, and he appears in his true state with this radiance, and they hear a voice of outrageous joy and delight saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And they all fall flat on their face. So that gives us a sense of what may be possible as we enjoy his relationship with us. And we maintain fellowship in Jesus with the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, we're learning about what real fellowship with God actually is about. The Holy Spirit, I think, 
is our get out of performance mode into freedom. He's the companion that enables those things to happen. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. We're learning that freedom is always given, never earned. So in relationship, we learn how to stay free and practice living free. We're coming into a place so profound, so outrageous, it's going to turn us into different men and different women. We're going to get a handle on what it really means to be the beloved of God. How exciting is that? So if you're interested in learning more about connecting to God's passion for you as the beloved, then I want you to go to brilliantbookhouse.com and search for The Missing Piece. This is a conference we did a few years back when this was so strong in our hearts. And that conference itself was absolutely outrageous in terms of setting people free in the moment. And that's what I want for you. I want you to be set free in the moment that you're in right now. That when you discover who God wants to be, that he is your first love and that you can respond to him. I want you to set your whole heart on listening and looking towards Jesus. Hey, thanks so much for joining me for this podcast. I appreciate it.